So it's like these, this level of sophistication that you guys have uh, mastered and that you guys are willing to do on a day in and day out basis. I mean, we've said it before, uh, your level of dentistry, Mart, Frank, Martin, it's the highest because the way that the Netherlands structures your, your reimbursement, I mean, you have no reason to provide the level of care that you provide, except that you have <laughs> integrity. Good, integrity and a good heart. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> what can you say? to our second biomimetic podcast uh this is the first international one uh the first podcast we did uh, uh i did together with mart and with and with Freak, and it's in dutch um in this podcast we have david and davy um uh, we we all know them uh through through their courses uh Freak and i are currently doing a 12-month course with them uh, in the first eight weeks, we already read uh, over 126 articles. So you can imagine how many literature we have read already. Uh, and Mart has been to their course in Los Angeles together with Matt. Uh, and the course was in September 2018, I guess. Um, uh, what we want to do today, we want to give an introduction into biomimetic dentistry uh, because bi biomimetic dentistry is uh, getting more and more popular. Um, especially through social media, Instagram and Facebook, and everybody's claiming that they are doing biomedic dentistry. And what we um, would like to uh, what we would like to do with this podcast is to tell people what biomedic dentistry is actually about and what we can do in our daily practice to improve in our biomedic restorative protocols. Um, so I would like uh, to ask David and Dave to introduce them themselves to our public. All right. So I'm the uh, the oldest of the David Dolomans. Uh, so I've been uh, teaching biomedic dentistry for about 18 years. So I've been uh, researching it for over 25 years. And after uh, seven years of research in advanced adhesive protocols, I came up with a solution to the problems of debonding, the pollution, the problems of sensitivity, pulp deaths recurrent decay, those solutions have been solved without full crowns and without endo. So if you'd like to prevent endo and like to prevent cutting healthy tooth structure down, biomedics is for you. And I'm Davey Alleman. I'm the prodigy of, of this old man who's at risk of dying any minute. Any minute. <laughs> One less Dave Alleman. That's right. <laughs> but I got inspired to become a, a dentist in about seventh grade, when my father came and spoke to my my class about dentistry, and he showed a lot of adhesive principles, and I kind of remember before this time frame that my dad really didn't like dentistry, and then all of a sudden something had changed, and he was very passionate about it, and it kind of 
gave me the path to to follow his footsteps and and become passionate about biomimetic dentistry. Right. So, David, can you can you can you tell us maybe uh, why 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 did you um, changed uh, to adhesive or biomimetic dentistry? What was yeah. the reason? That's a great question. I was so frustrated after 17 years of doing traditional dentistry um, that I quit. I actually told my wife, um, you know, we had a large family at that time. We had seven kids, so she needed the money. She was hoping that I would not quit dentistry because dentists would make more money than a history professor, which was my next goal. So I was taking graduate level history courses, which I really enjoyed. But then I found that there was some um, person who had tapped into some technology from Japan. The first, the doctor's name was Ray Bertolotti and Ray Bertolotti uh, introduced me in a two day course in 1995 to adhesive dentistry, came from Japan. The materials that were being used were Kuare products. Um, but after that, I called my wife up and says, maybe I won't quit dentistry if half of what this guy says that it has the potential to really make dentistry more predictable because I just didn't have a, uh, a confidence that I could have long-term predictability on any operative procedure, any prosthodontic procedure. Everything was at risk of having sensitivity and pulp death after I had worked on it. It might be two years later, three years later, but still, it wasn't long-term success for a high enough percentage of teeth that I worked on to make me really feel confident that what I was doing was going to be uh, a satisfactory result. So that's what led me to investigate what Ray Bertolotti had uh, brought from Japan. And I started with that and been doing it ever since. Right. And can you tell us something about the long longevity of the biomedic restorations that you, that you have made? Um, how, how many years have you had successful yeah, so treatments? We've, so basically I stopped doing uh, a full coverage restoration over 20 years ago. So after four years of studying the adhesive literature, I came to the conclusion that we could replace cusps, we could maintain long-term bonds if we understood polymerization dynamics and use the right materials, but more importantly than the right materials was to use different techniques. And these techniques I had to develop from my own research, which was about maybe seven or 8,000 hours in four years of literature review. It was three to four hours a day. My wife said it was more, but for about four years, <laughs> I read more literature than even Martin could read. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, my father, my father, Davy's grandfather, um, was a physicist. So his expertise was sonar in submarines, very bright man. Um, and he would read scientific journals. We'd have them at our house and it impressed me because it had a lot of math, but more than anything, at the end of every journal, he had this big list of the small fine print. And it's like every article that he read had all these references. And that was something in my small, you know, 10 year old mind. I remembered that, wow, what is all that? And then I found out that a footnote actually could mean something when I was studying history. I mean, the, 
I don't know how personal we should get, but in high school, I took an advanced history class where I got college credit as a junior in high school. And as soon as I got into the class, I understood they were actually going to make me actually read books so that I could write important information. And I had to do research with footnotes. And as soon as I found out that this was really going to be something I had to work hard at, I quit that class immediately <laughs> and went into the easy history class so I could get my A and play golf and basketball and go out on dates and have fun. This is what uh, you know, a kid growing up in Southern California really, but that, that class in high school was actually probably the most important class that I ever took because I actually learned what a bibliography was. And then over the years, it's dawned on me that every bibliography, every reference on every bibliography is probably four years of work from somebody's life. It's a pretty humbling thing because, you know, in our biomedic mastership group, we go through 127 articles. You know, one of the most important is one that I wrote with Pascal Magne in 2012. And 2012, in that article, we put 101 references. And I mean, those 101 references were selected out of a couple of hundred references that impacted deep caries removal, pulp vitality, adhesive bonding relating to pulp success. I mean, all those things, there were hundreds of articles, but I selected 101. And we have a notebook up in our basement, you know, it has each one of those, the original article of each one of those. Now, Davey has changed those 101 articles into electrons. And so they're so small, you can't even appreciate it, you know, but the electronic PDF that Davey is, you know, saving the world, the forests of the world by changing all my actual copies into uh, electronic PDFs. I understand that's progress, but in my mind, um, actually seeing an actual piece of research and realizing what it was, all of a sudden it brought me into contact with people from Japan, people from Turkey, people from Europe, people from the United States all over. And as I um, went out and started to reach out to these people as I traveled, uh, because I started teaching this in 2003 and before um, too many years, I made a determination to meet people like DDA Dichis. In 2000, I took a two-day course in Dichie. Figured out what he knew and what I knew, and I figured I knew some things he didn't know. I mean, obviously, he had written a book, and very important. I knew about Pascal. Didn't meet him until 2005, which is his book was published in 2002. And as I made my comparison, there was one dentist who, more than any, was on my same page, and that was Dr. Simone Della Perry from Sardinia, uh, practices in Cagliari, Sardinia in Italy. And he published a landmark paper in 2002. Uh, and when I met him, travel, I traveled to Boston to meet him, uh, take the course that he was giving at Tufts University. And we sat down and just went through our bibliographies because, you know, that's what really counts. It's, it's, it's how you interpret all of the literature that makes biomimetic dentistry what it is. And there's only a dozen people right now that I consider real masters. But uh, the group that 
all of you are part of or the next dozen <laughs> in the world. I mean, you know, we've been training doctors, hundreds of doctors, and they've been practicing it. But to learn how to do it is one thing. To know why it works, that's a whole nother level of understanding. And the world maybe doesn't need 100,000 masters, but we do need maybe 100. Uh, Davey ha and I have a goal this year to create 50 masters. And if we have 50 masters that actually have gone into 100 or 200 articles and see how the uh, interrelationship of the science of these six areas we talk about works, then uh, they will be able to train people through podcasts, through Instagram, through university connections. And, you know, we've just organized a, a, a biomimetic organization in the Philippines two months ago. Uh, there's a biomedic organization that's organizing a worldwide conference in Santiago, Chile for July 2021. We have a, a Academy of Biomedic Dentistry in the United States. Um, the, their conference was canceled uh, this April, but there will be an important conference in Los Angeles in 2021 that Pascal will be speaking at and Matt Najad and Davey and I will be there. But um, these groups that are coming together around the world under the name biomimetics, um, as people look more and more into it, they see that there's a unifying scientific base. It's not a cult built around some messiah of biomimetic dentistry. Although, you know, I've been called that, but that's okay. You know, that's, I, you know, most messiahs get killed, so that's probably not what I want. But, you know, this... The idea is that, you know, if you, if you have to be a martyr for something, I would like to have it stand for something. And, and being a dentist, for me, is a very fulfilling profession. But uh, 25 years ago, it wasn't. But the difference is, if you can heal a tooth, and you can allow the tooth to be restored as few times as possible over the lifetime of the patient, then that's... Patients love that, and they pay you for it, unless you're a Dutch dentist, of course. But the idea is that if you're a healer and you have the ability to help people, it's very, very satisfying. And if it looks as beautiful as Frank's restorations, you know, none of them will. But, you know, if we even come close to, to that, then the aesthetically, it's also very, very, very pleasing. Yeah, what we really want is people to have the proper interpretation of the science. So it's very easy to get confused with all this contra, uh, contradictory information that people are uh, exposed to from a specific piece of literature or a question that a researcher had. But if you don't have a context or a framework to put it into, it's very easy to get um, potentially the wrong, the wrong interpretation and have different, a, results. And different results and make, uh, make claims on a technique that works for you, but not for them because they do not understand where one piece of literature fits into thousands of uh, pieces of um, exactly. research. Yeah, we, we kind of, there's, there's kind of a, uh, I mean, if we, if we said that there's one difference between adhesive dentistry and biomedic dentistry, it would be 
a biomimetic dentist has total confidence in his bond to dentin, meaning that he feels like his bond to dentin has a bondability twice as strong as the bond to enamel. When I give a lecture, I've given lectures to thousands of dentists over the last 15 years, and I always start the lecture, which is the strongest bond, the bond to enamel or the bond to dentin? And everyone who's not a biomimetic dentist will all vote that the bond to enamel is the strongest. And then I will proceed to unfold the research that shows that potentially the bond to dentin is twice as strong and just as durable as a, a normal tooth is as far as being connected itself, side to side, front to back, top to bottom. Of course, this is information that no dentist learns in dental school, with the exception perhaps of University of Geneva, maybe Groningen at, uh, under Marco Gresnik. Um, Ali Sauter has some pretty good information at University of Washington. Uh, USC with Pascal Magne, a fourth university, and there's several other universities uh, in the United States, maybe six or seven around the world, who have been trained by either myself or Pascal Magne or a combination, Dichi Magne, myself. Um, but this, uh, this concept of bonding to Denton is durable, is something that if you don't understand the literature and you don't understand uh, clinical testing that's been done, um, particularly in controlled clinical trials by Simone Della Perry in Sardinia, Italy, which is uh, very, you know, who knows that name? Simone Della Perry. If you do a PubMed research and you see 25 articles that come up, I'll be co-author on several of them. But basically, when he published his landmark article in the Journal of American Dental Association in 2002, only one university uh, understood it enough to invite him every year to give lectures. And that's the university that he got his master's degree in aesthetic dentistry at Tufts University in Boston. But even his own dental school in Cagliari, Sardinia, doesn't invite him to lecture because it's so controlled, what he calls the prosthodontic mafia. You know, every prosthodontist has determined, we know how to fix teeth. Who cares if we have, you know, a percentage of failures and we have to do implants after a decade because our endodontically treated crown teeth fail. You know, the prosthodontists in, around the world see themselves as knowing the best way to, uh, to do dentistry, and I totally disagree. Uh, of course, that, that means I'm not going to be speaking at any prosthodontic conferences, you know, in the near future. But there are prosthodontists such as Urs Belser. So every biomedic dentist should know the name Urs Belser. So he was the inspiration for Dietschy. He was the inspiration for Manje. Just retired a couple of years ago from the University of Geneva. But Urs Belser. Um, he understood that adhesive dentistry potentially could seal a tooth, eliminate endo. Seal a tooth, eliminate infections in periodontal tissues. Seal a tooth and connect it side to side, front to back and top to bottom and preserve all sound tooth structure. And he said, 
adhesive dentistry has the potential to do away with endo, prosthodontics, perio. The only specialty that it won't do away with, well, even ortho, you know, we can do some pretty <laughs> amazing stuff bonding uh, crooked teeth with adhesive dentistry. But the biomimetic, where we're talking about dentin, there's more dentin than enamel. That's where a dentist has to understand polymerization dynamics. It has to understand stress reduction. And so these are things that, you know, C-factor is the, you know, it actually came out of uh, Amsterdam. Uh, Carol Davidson, I don't know if any of you three actually know Dr. Davidson. Have you met him in a Amsterdam, any of you? No. I think he's still alive, unless the coronavirus has got him. He's about 10 years older than me. I think he's probably in his late 70s. But uh, ACTA, um, you know that institution. Uh, that's where Dietschy got his PhD in 2003, 2004, something around there. But but Dietschy, you know, he understood C-factor. Della Perry understood C-factor, but it all starts with the original research of Carol Davidson and uh, Felser, Dehe, and Davidson. But anyway, but if a dentist doesn't have a real feel for what C-factor is, that the ratio of bonded to unbonded surfaces actually uh, influence the stress and stress to the adhesive layer, the hybrid layer, if that stress isn't mitigated, the hybrid layer is stretched and pulled in a way that weakens it. So under function, we have a stress-induced uh, fatiguing of the bond and eventually a debond. Um, in the United States, large composites uh, are, have been you know, documented at failing at five years. You know, we have large composites. I have a friend, we're gonna bring him up and take photographs of him. He has, um, 10 large composites in his mouth that were done 20 years ago. And we've been checking them every, every week or every month. I play golf with them every week that I'm not lecturing. And, you know, my wife, her sister, the same thing. You always do your, your experimental dentistry on your significant other first and then a close relative and then your best friend, because you know they won't sue you, right? When everything goes, goes wrong. But you know, we've been teaching these principles to hundreds of dentists and they have my cell phone number to report to me if they have any debonding, if they have any sensitivity, if they have any fractures, if they have any pulp deaths. And, you know, they've paid me a lot of money. You know, Davey's uh, a partner with me now, so he gets some of the money. But the idea is that if a mentor can't teach you to have the same results that he is claiming that he's had, something's wrong. You're either not a very good student or else what he's saying is there's some kind of defect there. And, you know, if I was the only one teaching these things, it would be different. But now, you know, Pascal's new book, everybody who's listening to this broadcast should uh, understand that in 2021, a second book um, from Pascal Mani on these techniques is being published. And because Pascal's kind of been lionized as an aesthetic uh, dentist in beautiful anterior cases with his brother Michel's lab work, you know, being highlighted. Pascal's kind of been marginalized into this idea of great aesthetic anterior cases. 
But when I met him 15 years ago, and we started to talk to science, and uh, you know, I just said, people really need their posterior teeth fixed the right way more than their front teeth made beautiful. And he agrees, he knows that. Uh, dentists around the world, patients come in, if they had to choose between having a tooth that's not gonna have a root canal and a beautiful veneer on a front tooth, you know, preserve the molar first and then save some money up for the anteriors. That, that makes sense for most dentists around the world. If you're in a high-end uh, cosmetically oriented practice like Matt Najat and Beverly Hills, it's a beautiful practice. I mean, I, you know, you've got your own in-house lab technician trained by Willie Geller in oral design philosophies. It's a great gig, but it's not what most people, uh, most dentists will have real satisfaction from. There's a lot of high stresses when the patient comes in and they think they're more important than the doctor. I, I've never felt comfortable with that. <laughs> oh, David, I think you have already answered a lot of questions that I, <laughs> that I had, uh, that I came up in mind with before the, before the conversation. Thank you very much. I, want, I wanted to ask you a question talking about prosthodontics. Um, well, there seems to be a clear trend, um, uh, well, at least in the Netherlands, um, for young dentists to learn all about occlusion uh, right after dental school. And right. um, I think around me, I often see, uh, see them, um, yeah, I, I often see adhesive procedures not well understood. And um, oh, of course, you, you have mastered both adhesive techniques. And I think you um, were also educated by COIS, right? For Correct. The, for the, about occlusion. Correct. What, what yeah. would you advise young dentists to, to yeah, emphasize so on? This is what I would re uh, recommend. So everybody knows the words, and I don't know if it's the same in Dutch as it is in English, but TMJ. Mm -hmm. You know, every dentist knows about TMJ. That's the order of importance for occlusion. If you have a patient that's sensitive to biting, think of the teeth first. So fix the teeth first. The second thing are the muscles, M. And the third thing is the joint. Now, the teeth, the muscles, and the joint can all cause pain, discomfort, patient dissatisfaction. But if you look at the joint and try to fix the joint first and put it into some kind of ideal position and you have teeth problems, it's not, the pain's not going to go away. But the muscle problems have the ability to be adjusted and deprogrammed and reprogrammed. And so all of these uh, occlusal concepts and occlusal treatments, uh, you know, I've studied all of them uh, in our country. Uh, Pete Dawson wrote the book years ago. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. most of the concepts that he used uh, had to be greatly modified, if not overturned, with better research and better uh, information. Um, but if you if you uh, if you learn how to fix your teeth first, and then worry about deprogramming and position of the mandible second for the muscle comfort and then the joint problems they do occur we treated a patient last last week that will be doing a basically a full mouth reconstruction because she actually has serious tmd 
but the cooking and the popping was not from a displaced disc, but it was from uh, an adhesion on the side of her uh, glenoid fossa. You know, these are principles that Mike Alpern uh, taught me many years ago. They added much understanding to the principles of occlusion that John Coises uses with his deprogrammer. But uh, if occlusion, if the, an occlusal course does not understand what a doll appliance does, that's kind of like the sine qua non. If you don't have understanding that doll, doll appliance can put a patient down and forward and get them into a position where they're not clicking and popping, then they've kind of missed the boat. Uh, but that's, like I say, that's just the small minority of patients that have TMD. But almost all patients have structurally compromised teeth that are, are symptomatic. The symptoms come and the symptoms go. If you check all that and you make sure that those teeth are all sealed, then you can be sure that your, your occlusal schemes will be, uh, be effective and not um, clouded in your diagnosis from teeth that are sensitive. So I would say in the, in the six lessons approach that we teach, you know, we talk about caries, diagnosis, and treatment is the most important, cracks and gaps, treatment and diagnosis, second most important, seal to dentin, immediate dentin sealing and resin codes is the third important, stresses of polymerization, lesson four is the fourth most important, bonding to enamel is the fifth, <laughs> and then lesson six is occlusion. And the lesson six is important, but you need to have lesson one through five mastered before you start uh, doing these large full mouth cases so that you don't have confusion from individual teeth that become symptomatic or um, necrotic during your full mouth reconstruction. That can be a real, a real mess. So you would summarize it like, first make sure you can seal the tooth. <laughs> Oh, and, Correct. And yeah, I would, I would say, you know, tell all of your friends they should be trained by you guys. <laughs> and then occlusion, you can talk about that later. If, uh, if you want to hire us to come over and give an occlusion course or do it online, be glad to do that. If they want to fly to John Coyce's place in Seattle and get risk of corona infection, they can do that. You know, it's just like, it's, it's, it's a free country as far as so far, right? We're hoping that We're it, hoping stays it stays free. free, but that doesn't mean it doesn't cost something. Yeah, but, uh, but this, uh, I mean, the, the science of occlusion and the science of caries or the science of cracks, the science of immediate dent and sealing, the science of polymerization dynamics and shrinkage, C-factor, the science of bond to enamel, they ha all have very distinct histories and practitioners and leaders teaching one thing. But if you're, if you, I mean, you know, don't get me started. It's usually a three hour lecture, but nathology was invented in Southern California. And in nathology, the condyle is king. The position of the condyle was supposed to set everything else right. It's just false. It's not what the nathologists said it was and so every i don't know if you got anybody there know Slavicek from vienna no. have you ever heard that name no 
I don't know what I should, I don't even think Davey knows too much. Anyway, <laughs> you know, if you want to talk to a dogmatic prosthodontist, uh, if you think that's fun, great. But, uh, you know, there are, in every city in the civilized world, there is a prosthodontist who knows that he can make your life perfect by getting your condyle exactly in the right position. And that's total baloney. I don't know how you say that in, in Dutch, but, you know. Pretty much the same, yeah. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> and Christian Coatsman mentioned that, you know, in the last, uh, last podcast. That, good. You know, the, the idea of putting everything in a napologic-oriented position doesn't always work, and that's exactly right. Oh, exactly. So, you, mentioned, you mentioned exactly the same. So Coachman is from Brazil, correct? Yeah. 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 So the doll appliance, Pascal learned of the doll appliance in detail from an pathologist in Brazil. And I think his name is Cardozo. Uh, I don't think he's one of the articles that we put out there. But when Pascal and I sat down and started talking about the doll appliance, I learned my doll appliance uh, literature originally from John Coyce uh, and dolls from uh, Scandinavia. But I know in Brazil, there's a, a prosthodontist, and I think his, his name is Cordozo, and I'm sure his influence coachman. And, and that's how the different branches of, of uh, dentistry kind of break off. And if they don't talk to each other, and nobody can know everything. I mean, every time Pascal and I talked down, you know, we went to dinner last October, you know, and the conclusion is nobody can know everything. I mean, the science that I have in my head, the science that Davey has in his head, the science that you guys have in your head or Pascal has in his head, if we don't have some common ground, then that's where uh, miscommunication happens. And uh, many of the, uh, of the key opinion leaders around the world don't connect enough with who I believe the people who are the masters of adhesive dentistry. So if you're using an adhesive bonding system, but you don't understand polymerization shrinkage and you don't understand the chemistry of the, I mean, I once did an analysis of 65 bonding systems that were available in the United States. I just went through the catalog of Henry Schein, 65, you can buy 65 different bonding systems. And I classified the 65, and basically there are six different approaches, but the simplified systems always were the worst. And in the last five years since MDP patent from Corare has expired, we have several companies who have come out with MDP, what do we call it? Unified, universal, uh, universal body system. And all of them are simplified body systems where they put a priming step with an adhesive step together. And the research on these for 20 years has shown them to be defective because the chemistry is bad approach. It's like uh, Pascal and I call them salad, salad dressings. It's like if you get a salad dressing, you got oil and water and vinegar and you shake them up, you know, you look inside and you got these little globlets of the different materials that don't mix. Mm -hmm. And universal body systems all have that problem. And no matter how much advertising and how slick the, the promotion of these products, uh, don't be fooled. 
the science has shown that they are not as good. And the same thing like with photobond. If you have a thinned adhesive layer, it works great for on less enamel. than five on enamel. Bonding to enamel, bonding to a veneer with most enamel works great with a thin adhesive layer that is totally air inhibited and doesn't polymerize until you put the cement on and you bond your veneer. But it works terrible on dentin because of the transudation of the dental fluid and air inhibition. I mean, all these things, people at every dental school should know this stuff. It's, this isn't just a few scientific articles. This is reproducible research that every dentist uh, could have access to, but everybody thinks dentists are stupid. And so they're dumbing down the approaches in dental school and the dentists are coming out just confused. And it makes me angry, but I, you know, I'm trying to be like Davey, more diplomatic. <laughs> well, well, even even today, I had a training, and I'm not going to specify for which organization or whatsoever, but um, it was about simplifying your indirect techniques. And um, immediate dentin sealing was not even on the on the checklist of what to you do. You got to tell me who was. Tell me you got you got to email me, direct <laughs> message me. I've got the list. I, I need to have that information. And, right? I, and I, I started the discussion and um, they, they told like, um, well, maybe you could, you could add a few megapascals if you do immediate dentin sealing, but, but the clinical re relevance, um, you, you could question the clinical relevance of it. And, um, and, and with, with all new universal bonding systems, um, uh, I think don't think it's applicable anymore. Okay, Frank, <laughs> is this somebody whose name I would recognize? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> so but Pascal and I, you know, we have these conversations or direct message, and Pascal says, "Well, what about so and so? What about so and so? I thought that they were, you know." And all of a sudden, I have to go. You know what? I don't know. You know, these guys have reputations, they're having speaking gigs, but every manufacturer thinks dentists are stupid and that they will, they will make more money selling products over and over again with different names to the dentist because the dentists are continually looking for solutions to problems they have, but the manufacturers say, oh, the solution is simple. And it's not. I think the very first quote that we start off in, in our introductory of, this, of the mastership training is the quote by Van Merby. And last slide. And the la is it the last slide last of the introductory? Yeah. It's like Bart Van Merby, um, you know, his whole life is testing adhesives. <clears throat> he said it best. The advantages of adhesive protocols and adhesive treatments are tremendous. But there's only one thing, there's no simple way to do them. And the details of how complicated it is, you know, you can go to my Instagram account, you can go to Davey's Instagram account. I usually try to list all the steps in any procedure that I do. And the steps are usually between 10 and 20 in a procedure, but the procedure lasts an hour, hour and a half. Time-wise, it's the same as traditional prosthodontics, but if something is more complicated, 
and you make the decision that the patient isn't interested in long-term results, that is malpractice. I have a son-in-law who's a neurosurgeon. Do you think the patient should be warned about possible complications if he rushes a procedure and doesn't take the time to diagnose exactly what part of the tumor he's removing? And if he has questions, he slows down rather than speeds up because there's another patient in the next operating room that needs a brain surgery. No, that's crazy. And we are working on the largest cranial nerve in the human body, except the sciatic nerve. If a person wants pain, screw up their teeth. None of our patients want that. We need to take the time with magnification. I know Frank has a microscope. Martin, you have a microscope. Yeah. I don't know. Mark, do you have a microscope? Yeah. Davey has a microscope now. Before he had a microscope in the Army, he just got eight power loops. I mean, those are a little bit of strain on your neck, you know, when you got those. But the idea is that why do you have to have magnification to do biomimetic dentistry? The recommendation that Pascal and I made in our 2012 articles was 6.5 to 8. And if, if a dentist can't understand that as an advantage, then I just don't know what to say. Because when I see deep decay, I see deep cracks, I see a deep box, I see a deep margin that I'm trying to isolate that is very difficult, 9 millimeter subgingival, that I'm able to prevent a a crown lengthening procedure by doing a deep margin elevation and I'm actually able to visualize with light and magnification that I mean that it's the right way to do it that's all I can say and if and if patients don't want to you know value that or or pay for it that's fine it's a free country go you know have your tooth extracted I I won't you know feel bad but my whole joy as a dentist is to save a tooth, prevent a tooth from extraction. If that extraction can be prevented through biomimetic techniques, then we're successful. But the whole idea is we have the ability, if we diagnose early, to prevent that tooth from even getting close to endo, from ever getting close to implant. We just can do the earlier diagnosis, the earlier treatment, fix the tooth one time, I had this conversation with Dietschy years ago and, you know, he says, you know, we should really charge more money for the smaller restoration. The smallest restoration we do is the most valuable if it's permanent because it saves all the costs of the retreatment. But if you're always putting out fires and you're only waiting until the tooth, you know, becomes symptomatic, then it's, it becomes more, more difficult. So the, the diagnosis of cracks and gaps the treatment of cracks and gaps, all of these things, you know, these are huge parts of biomedic dentistry, uh, but it does take training and does take a dedication to, uh, to do it right, do dentistry. I mean, the, my definition of biomedics would be dentistry done right. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I think we, we all agree. Um, I've been practicing the biomedic dentistry now for a year and a half. And I remember going up to you in, in LA and, and talking about uh, when I had bigger restorations, 
my patients usually would come back and then I would ask them, how did it go? And then, well, the first week, uh, we had some, there was some sensitivity. And then I asked them for how long. It was like for a couple of weeks. And I always was kind of surprised by that because um, I could explain a little bit sensitivity, but um, not really. Why should it be for a couple of weeks? Two weeks, yeah. Yeah, and then you explained me uh, and, and taught me how to do proper adhesive techniques, uh, especially the bonding to dentin. And, and, and since then, I've never have, have, had these yeah. kind of... Complaints. I remember that first case a couple of years ago that you published, the first semi-direct case that you yeah. put on your Instagram account and... Davey showed it to me before I was really, you know, on Instagram. Now I'm a celebrity. I have 3,000. <laughs> 140. You know, my head is getting big, you know. It's like, <laughs> yeah. But the idea is that, you know, that's where Instagram to me is giving me more life. I feel like I want to live so I can find out how many more followers I have the next day, right? <laughs> but in Instagram, when a pay, when a, a case is published with multiple photographs, like Davy has published over 360 cases, you know, multiple photographs. Uh, all of you have just paid, posted unbelievably great. I mean, we have opened the kimono. We're showing everything. We are helping people change the way they do dentistry, and it doesn't cost them a dime. It just takes some time, do some questions, direct messaging. All of that stuff, our, our technique now is we want to get them into the swimming pool, you know, as fast as possible. And then if they need some help so they don't drown, you know, hopefully they'll hire one of us to help them. But the idea is that jump in, if you have any sensitivity, if you have any teeth that are fracturing, if you have any debonds of onlays, inlays, all of those things, we've got the solution to that. And this has been happening for 20 years. But the dental schools need to do much better. And there's five or six dental schools around the world that are now on board, and we expect more to happen. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's something I think Instagram is the game changer for the new wave of biomimetic restorative dentistry. And I think something that was important that Mark uh, touched on is he was using really good materials. He was. Uh, before he got fully trained and was having some situations that he didn't understand. And I've had this, these <clears throat> conversations with, with uh, people throughout the world, and they always want to say, if I just switch materials, then all my problems will go away. But the problem is if you do not understand lesson four, which is C-factor and polymerization stress, you don't know why it's important to use very small increments. You don't understand the reason why maybe you should switch over to an indirect technique uh, instead of a, a, a simplified direct technique. I mean, that kind of sophistication that each of you guys have gone through that learning curve, uh, there's just no easy way to to short shortcut that. There is, and, and a, a procedure that when I invented it, uh, Pascal had invented it at the same time at Geneva, and Della Perry had invented it in Italy, independent of each other. The procedure we now call deep margin elevation had different names at different times, but the main breakthrough was if you don't understand that this is a separate procedure, if you try to somehow wrap this deep margin elevation into the rest of your rest restoration, 
either by doing an indirect restoration deep into the root area or by having too large of increments or a bulk fill, heaven forbid, into this deep area, you have what's called the hierarchy of bondability, which is destroying your bond in the weakest parts, which are usually the most critical parts because they're in that deep gingival floor. They're in that axial wall. They're in that deep pulpal area that are right next to the pulp. And so your strongest bonds have to be developed there, can't be done without deep margin elevation. And the long-term studies that Gresnik, Grudol, Sprefico, Manier, uh, myself, all of these, as this was understood, it's a huge breakthrough. And if, if a dentist doesn't understand what deep margin elevation is, then they're not trained in biomimetic dentistry. And every dentist to handle those situations which we call the 3D situations, deep boxes, deep carries, deep cracks, all of those 3D difficult situations, that's where the majority of failures in composite dentistry and traditional dentistry happen. And if the dentist just says, well, that's no problem, I just do root canals first, then all of a sudden you have to deal with the science that shows root canals cause fractures of roots. I mean, nobody talks about this. And this is just like science has been documented. And so if you have a fracture increase in a root canal treatment, then preventing root canals, there's a real motivation for that. Because once you fracture a root, the tooth is lost. And then the only option, implant, go without a tooth, all those types of things. I mean, if a dentist isn't passionate about fixing teeth the right way, I don't know what to say. You know, it's just like, you should be something else. You know, you should go into coronavirus research, you know, whatever. But find your passion and do it the right way. But in the world, if a person is not following the group of leaders in biomimetic dentistry, which, I mean, you could just say, if you don't believe in immediate debt and ceiling, I just don't know what to tell you. It's like, if you don't believe in caries detecting dye, I don't know what to say. You're either totally ignorant of the science or you have a, a, a hidden agenda. Somebody is helping you believe that an inferior technique is good, a good enough. And that's just, um, and, we, and we see this with, with all sorts of groups. I mean, there's a certain percentage of Seric doctors that want to discount the idea that they don't need to do immediate dent and sealing because it's a same day restoration but they don't understand that even just waiting five minutes for your polymerization of your bond to mature, you go, you preserve the hybrid layer to a much greater extent. And so it's like these, this level of sophistication that you guys have uh, mastered and that you guys are willing to do on a day in and day out basis. I mean, we've said it before, uh, your level of dentistry, Mart, Frank, Martin, it's the highest because the way that the Netherlands structures your, your reimbursement, I mean, you have no reason to provide the level of care that you provide, except that you have <laughs> integrity. Good, integrity and a good heart. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> what can you say? I mean, it's like, like if you guys put that much love and care in doing the best possible work, then what is my excuse 
where I don't have, you know, regu uh, regulations on how much I can charge a, a patient legal legally. It's like what you guys do is so inspiring to me and my father to become better dentists. It's just, yeah, every, every once in a while, I'm, I'm almost tempted to get some uh, highlights. <laughs> the only highlights I'm using on my case right now are white because it's very subtle, but it does make them come out. But I'm actually, I'm tempted to start getting some staining going because I've, I've ridiculed my partner, teaching partner, Della Perry, for years because he puts brown stains in every restoration. They look like they need to be restored after he finishes. You know, it's like, <laughs> anyway. All right. Um, well, I, I think, um, uh, you 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 summed it all up. It was a it was a great ins inspirational and, and passionate um, story about why uh, we need to change. Every dentist needs to change to biomedical dentistry. It's it's the only dentistry you should perform. I think. Yeah, twenty years ago, I couldn't say that with confidence, but now twenty years later, I can say it with passion. And anybody that wants to discount the science. They're not making a criticism of me. They're criticizing somebody who has put in years into analyzing this question. And that is a, a, a very, very poor way to do science. You know, if, if my father was designing sonar for a submarine now, he wouldn't be saying, well, the World War I submarines were good enough without sonar. He wouldn't be saying the World War II submarines are good enough with the World War II sonar. No, you know, it's like, you know, we have problems, but we need to have the best technology to solve those. And uh, that's what biomimetic dentistry is. It's a hundred year paradigm shift. Um, you know, the traditional GB black stuff was good for a hundred years, but now we've got something that will go for at least another hundred years. Uh, you really gave us the, the tools to, to, to perform that kind of dentistry that we that you should so i'm really thankful that for that and then thankful for for this podcast today so um uh, thank you very much yeah um, now the uh, the world of european dentistry is on your shoulders <laughs> <laughs> that feels like kind of a, a, a heavy weight so. big responsibility <laughs> yeah. deal with it you're young <laughs> you can take it you can take it. I hope we can live up to that. Uh, and when, when, Frank, when Frank starts growing a beard, then you can stop. That's never going to happen. <laughs> That's never going to happen. Uh, painful. <laughs> all right. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, welcome. I, I wish you all the best. Good health. No corona. That's right. I will Thank you very much. Here's talk our to signal you soon. For, uh, this is our signal for Stay bonded. Stay bonded. Stay bonded. Stay bonded. All right. Okay. See you. Thank you guys. All right. Take care. Stay bonded. Bye. Bye bye.